Hi, everybody. Welcome again to the Twilight After Show. Joining me, of course, on my left, Carl Wiggers, co-producer of This Week in Louisiana Agriculture, Kristen Oaks, and Avery Davidson, co-host of the show. And with us in the studio is Greg Fox. He is a grain marketing specialist with the Louisiana Farm Bureau Marketing Association. And that brings us to our very, not the first story in the show, but we're going to talk about Carl's but we, we need to talk about something more important right now, okay? Mm-hmm. Greg Fox, a really cool name, mm-hmm. but his son's name even better. Stone Fox. Stone Fox. Yeah. That's the bomb, yo. Yeah. That's the bottom line. That was <laughs> the bomb, yo. <laughs> the bomb, yo. Uh, Carl, you, you went out in the cornfields this week, something near and dear to your heart, of course, and your family farm. Corn is one of the things you guys grow. Mm-hmm. But uh, where were you this weekend? Uh, what did you cover? So this weekend, or this week, actually, yesterday, I went up to Crowville a place that actually I used to work at the elevator there in Crowville. But, um, you know, I got to visit with a bunch of farmers. Corn, I love corn because that's what I, I know pretty well. Um, but I was talking with, you know, the, some of the guys at the elevator about, you know, how important the elevator is to the corn crop, to the corn farmer, you know, as far as that's where they take a lot of their corn. You know, if they don't have own, own farm storage, some grain bins, they take it to the elevator and then the elevator buys it, and it moves on down the chain. But I was talking with them because I know I've worked in that elevator, and I know how important that part of the chain is for these farmers to keep moving their uh, their combines in the field. And it was just it was an interesting story to go shoot because having worked there before. But my whole the whole purpose of shooting the story I did was just to highlight a different part of the industry that you know, farmers depend on so heavily. And I got to talk with some farmers about, you know, prices. We talked about yields. We talked about, you know, weather conditions. And generally, you know, weather has been pretty good for farmers in north northeast Louisiana. I know that's the story, part of your story, Neil, is right. weather and how it's not been so great. But weather, for the most part, has been pretty good for farmers in northeast Louisiana harvesting uh, corn. And even a couple of them say, you know, if I got a shower, it kind of helped finish off my beans. But I know that's kind of we're getting to the end of them wanting rain on their beans as well. But weather has been not been that big of an issue, but the price that they're seeing now is, is really mm-hmm. scary for anybody that doesn't have any corn booked. Greg, that's why I wanted you in here. Greg, you deal with grain crops. You know, that's what you deal with every day. Tell me about what grain crops you actually deal with the marketing side of things. We market corn, soybeans, wheat, and grain sorghum. And grain sorghum's futures-wise, price-wise, is off of the corn market. So it doesn't stand alone. Got you. So the the corn market drives multiple things. And I, I, as we're talking market, and that's something that even growing up on a farm, I don't really understand that well. And in fact, on the show, I referenced Neil as the expert because he's covered it for so long as a uh, he punted to you as a reporter. <laughs> and Neil said, "I'm not the expert. Greg's the expert." So Greg, I know one of the things I talked about in the tag of my story is the fact that prices have taken a huge hit. I mean they. In corn markets is what I'm talking about. What 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 kind of led to that? Can you kind of give some background on that? Weather, planning intentions, um, carry out from last year's crop, and by carry out we mean from the 2018 harvest, what was not sold to an end user like a feed mill, uh, export, a hog farm, cattle. That's uh, that's an end user. So any corn that's physically sitting in storage that can be used for this year. So we had a good crop last year. So last year's crop. Last year's crop. So when you hear carry out, carry over is kind of a better, you know. Yeah, carry over from one year to the okay. next. What's left over. So we had a lot left we over We had this a year. lot left over. 
And then planting intentions were very high for corn. We saw in the 90 million acres for the U.S. was going to get planted. We had weather issues. That looked like it was going to back off. You saw prices rally because of that, because you were still expecting to use that corn. So when you looked at stocks to use ratio, it was shrinking, which was good for the corn market. You saw prices rally. If you're going to ration a crop, which means you want to hang on to that crop, you drive the prices up. People are, aren't going to buy it until they have to buy it. And that kind of helps prolong the use of that. You got more, you can hang on to it a little bit longer when prices are higher. Planning intentions didn't go the way the market thought they were going to go. As the planning season went on, we thought we were going to see less acres get planted. USDA's numbers came out. They were higher than what the trade was expecting. Okay. That's, that's when you saw the market go from around the highs of 417 early this month, because we were expecting those numbers to change for the August report, drop to where we currently are now, below $4. Now, how many of those acres do you think have to do with preventive planning with what's going on in the soybean market? They project around 11 million preventive acres in corn alone. So mm -hmm. that means planting intention should have been in the 100 million acre range. So there's still a question mark there. And the other thing that they did when they adjusted those acres, they actually raised the yield. And that was another question mark. Why did you raise the yield? Um, bean acres were already projected to be somewhat on the lower end. Mm -hmm. And they, they did come in lower and they have adjusted those. Again, we talked about carryout. That's the biggest problem on the bean side. A billion bushel bean carryout. That's the first time we've had a billion bushels and that's killing the bean market how much of this is related to you know the the trade war with china i mean huh. i know that's the billion dollar question probably but or billion, billion bushel, bushel, question. Billion bushel, bushel question. question more so on the beans i think mm -hmm. um unfortunately corn is just a byproduct of that it, it is impacted they do buy some corn and you do see some corn go into the feed markets there Beans is the biggest factor in the trade with China. And I think an underlying factor that people kind of gloss over is the swine fever issue that they've had. Yeah. They've lost so many pigs that they don't need the volume of grain that they needed last year. So if they needed a million bushels a month, you could cut that in half mm. because they just don't need it. Yeah. So and to, to illustrate how big of a problem that is, we're talking about hundreds of millions of pigs that are dead in China. So think about how much grain in terms of bushels hundreds of millions of pigs can eat every year. If I remember correctly, Neil, you had mentioned before that they lost the equivalent to the entire U.S. hog production. And that's a really conservative estimate because China is not forthcoming with that, that information. So that's probably a very rough uh, yeah, it's probably extremely conservative. They're, they're estimating upwards of 80% from what I've heard of their herd. From what uh, FC Stone report came out and pretty much said you could take all the Canada, all the pigs in Canada, all the pigs in the U.S. and another country I can't remember, we still couldn't replace what they've lost. Wow. They can't go out in the market and buy hogs to replace what they lost. And you think of wild pigs, how fast they populate. Well, they're killing off their breeding stock. So they don't have the breeder hogs to produce more hogs. 
and there's no country out there willing to sell them the volume they need at one time. So they have to slowly build those stocks mm -hmm. back up. It could take five years before they could really build their, their feeder hogs back up. So which, are you saying that it could take five years for the markets, the corn and soybean markets, to really you know, feel that? It could. It, it could happen quicker depending on what we produce, uh, what South America produces. Mm -hmm. You know, you get one, you get a devastating year in South America, it really changes the numbers on what exports are going to do. You get a bad year in here in the U.S., it can change. Right now we're just sitting on too much because the demand was there to have that much. Mm -hmm. You know, China was 80% of our uh, bean exports. So you lose that just on the trade war, it hurts. But you lose their volume into South America as well, it's going to hurt globally. And we're going to have to, unfortunately, adjust acres at some point to meet just the less demand that we're seeing. I want to bring up that you talk about, you know, that how much losing that 80% market to China hurts. But how much does that hurt our rural economies? Because you have farmers who would normally be making some money, a little bit of profit, and able to fix all their equipment and buy new equipment, that sort of thing, putting your more economist hat on. How does that affect folks up in Monterey, Louisiana? You know, you move that grain to market, so that's fuel, that's wages for your individuals that work for you. They're spending that money in the grocery stores. So if they're not moving, if they're putting it in grain storage or if they're not moving it, well, then people aren't getting paid because they don't have a job. And then the prices shrank. We saw last year where they weren't getting top dollar for that grain, so that's less money in the farmer pocket. So that's less money he's potentially paying out to his employees because he might have to let somebody go. He might not be able to afford that truck driver. Mm -hmm. You know, I might have to keep three guys out of my five guys that work for me. I got to let two go. Mm -hmm. And so that ripples effect on up to everywhere. Yeah, and that's less trucks being bought. That's less, that's you less know, parts at the parts yeah. store. Yeah. Well, I guess my question is, with China out of the market potentially for five years, how do the grain markets recover? Where do they go? Where does all this grain go? You have other markets that are buying. They just don't buy the volume. So we're not going to replace that 80% from China. We have to figure out a way to grow enough acres to keep our farmers in business, to keep prices high enough to where they can make a living and then find those other markets. You know, last year, the grain facilities loaded export ships. They were just few and far between. Instead of loading two bean boats back to back, they would load a bean boat, maybe a corn boat, maybe what they call a grocery boat where you load several commodities on one ship. Then you get back to a bean boat, then maybe another bean boat. Um, so it was very spread out where you're used to seeing those bean boats just back to back to back. Then a corn boat would come in and then just bean, bean, bean. It's, it's going to thin up, you know, to where they're, they're just not as often as you want them. Back to my, my story, we're talking about corn and corn prices. I talked to a couple of farmers who, you know, they just said you can't, you can't, you know, cash flow $3.60 corn. What do you know, I mean, are there numbers out there of how many farmers had or how many bushels of Louisiana corn is booked, you know, already and how many are kind of waiting and hoping that market goes back up? Is there, are there numbers out there for that? Uh, I mean, we have our numbers. You know, a lot of our customers are fortunate to get some stuff booked at the 420s, 430s. 
even some guys booked as high as 450. So what they're doing is they're selling, they're hedging. So they're, the Board of Trade gets to a price where they like it, so they sell grain at those numbers and wait. The good side to that is they're capitalizing as the market rallies to, to these levels. The downside is if you get bad weather that pushes through, it could wipe out your crop. Then you've got this stuff hedged, then you got to try to get out of it. How mm-hmm. do you get out of it? But with that, but if things go well, like it's done this year for them, they can sell a good chunk of their crop at the higher prices, and then the basis, what the elevator offers for you to go there, they can take a look at that and say, okay, well, this location gives me the best opportunity to get the most money. Mm-hmm. So they, they set it to go to those elevators, they sell it to those elevators, and they deliver it. And we've seen where it helps them get high prices for a good chunk of grain, and then once they fill those contracts, then they, then they can sell where the market is, although it's a lower price, still average a strong price, or they can just sit on it and wait for this market to rally, mm-hmm. either put it in grain storage or sell basis, which means they just take the price that the elevators offer it like a 10 over, a 10 under, something like that. So they offer 10 cents more per bushel. 10 cents more per or, bushel or than less. the Board of Trade is, is trading or or less, you know, plus or minus. Mm-hmm. So they can take that, still deliver it to the elevators, get it out of their storage, or if they don't have storage. Get it out of their field. Get it out of their field. And then they can watch the market. And if we get some rallies, then they can sell and, and you know, try to benefit from there. But I think a good chunk of the growers sold corn above $4 than below $4. Got you. Well, that's, that's encouraging. That's good news, especially the way, I mean, Avery and Neil kept asking me because my dad farms corn, and they're like, well, did you see what the corn market did? I'm like, no, I really, I don't follow it like I probably should, I guess, yeah. reporting on it. But I didn't know how much actual, I mean, how many Louisiana farmers are actually going to feel that hit as bad. I mean, I know they're all going to feel it in some way or another this year or next. Yeah, they still can because... You know, the back of the mind is always that storm's going to run through. You know, we can see that hurricane or we can have some other issue. So, I mean, they sell a small percentage of their crop. So, yeah, they might have sold some at 430, but they might sell the bulk of their crop at 380, mm-hmm. 370. And by the time it averaged out, it's barely $4. So, yeah, a lot did get some sold at 4 and I think a good chunk did, but it's where they sell the rest of the crop. You know, I feel confident that I think a good chunk of the Louisiana farmers sold in that $4 range. And when they're done, they're going to average out just fine. That's encouraging. So, Carl, when you go to Crowville and you see that giant mountain of corn, how big is that? Do you guys, do you guys know how many bushels are in those those big mountains when they yeah. pile them up? up I mean, they're, they're million-ish yeah. mm-hmm. bushel piles. I know that um, I, I'm trying to remember numbers. We actually didn't talk numbers yesterday when I was there, but— I want to say there's, I mean, one million mm-hmm. and there's another one. They can get as big as two million bushels, yeah. just depending on how long those pods are. And I have drone video right. in my package of those pods, and it's it's pretty wild to see. When you watch that story and and watch, you know, look at the scale, because there's scale, you know, you can see how tiny people are, how tiny trucks are compared to the one billion bushels or so. And then I want you to think about the fact that right now the carryout for corn in the United States is 250 times that. It's two and a half billion bushels. Is that right, Gray? It's close to that, yeah. It's two and a half billion bushels. So it's mountains, plural, yeah. of that, that of corn. And we're adding onto yeah. that crop. And we tend to carry more corn. 
you know, than soybeans, you know, for whatever reason. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, ethanol has taken a hit this year too. We're not seeing the ethanol production that we used to either. Mm-hmm. So that's cut into this corn usage. Interesting. And see, I was hoping that y'all were going to wrap it up like when he was talking about Louisiana farmers booking at 4.30, 4.50. So that way we'd be on a, a happy note. But no, y'all went back to being wholly depressing. Thanks, Neil. Thanks, there's, Greg. There's no good news in sight, it doesn't seem yeah, like. It's... Have you ever seen them? Uh, do you have footage of them actually putting corn in those pods? Yeah. Because that's pretty cool to watch because they build a wall that's not very tall. It seems like yeah. four or five mm-hmm. feet mm-hmm. tall wall, and they pile them million bushels of corn up i've actually got drone footage because you know working at the elevator i've gotten to watch these pods get built year after year and i mean i've even one year i remember we had so much corn i think maybe 2012 13 maybe we had so much corn they were literally they built a pot on the ground yeah and, i remember that um so i've seen it and finally i had a drone and i was out there shooting a story and i had my drone up in the air right at the end of the spout at the top of the the mountain and um this it's pretty cool video pretty <laughs> yeah. so so to see that i mean i've got the video of them unloading and going all the way up it's a huge conveyor belt and then drops it off at the very top of that mountain as you like to call it greg thanks for coming in we really appreciate your time appreciate it yeah, we know you got a little drive ahead of you but we appreciate you coming in Bridge is clear. Bridge is clear. It's a good day. Greg Fox, Grain Marketing Specialist with the Louisiana Farm Bureau Marketing Association. We're going to move on to uh, my story, which is sugarcane and uh, planting. And uh, one of the things that uh, has been a problem, of course, up in North Louisiana, Carl, you were talking about um, that they had gotten sufficient rain. Maybe they need a little more to finish off some of the beans. In South Louisiana, of course, it's the opposite. We've got a lot more rainfall, and it's it's really patchy. It depends on where you are across the state. But planting right now is around 40%, where it should be around 65 to 70%, somewhere in there. Some people, like Ricky Gosselin that I talked to, his planting percentage is zero. He hadn't Big planted anything? goose egg. Mm-hmm. Nada. Not a thing. Now, you got to remember, one of the things you'll hear in my story is that uh, and, and Avery's talked about this too previously, is that Hurricane Barry almost went right over his place. I remember that. So mm-hmm. he had water in his fields. We're going to show some of that again. And and um, uh, it's just been wet since then. You know, he talks yeah. about Barry, but he talks about all the rain before then, all the rain after then. And yep. it just won't stop in his area. I also talked to Paul Schecksneider, who's in Point Capee. He's planting. He's mm-hmm. getting some, some of the grain. So he's related to that um, – uh, you know, he's been able to do some of get some of that in, and I think that's what the tale is across Louisiana right now. Some have gotten it in, and some have not. Well, I know I was watching weather last night, and New Iberia got nailed again. Yeah. I mean, just he told me yesterday. Keep coming in. Mm-hmm. It's the uh, growing up there. You could set your clock by it two, three o'clock in the afternoon. Right, you were going to get it every day. That sea breeze. I was there at three and took a picture of it, and there was a rain cloud coming up over his field, and and he. He had just been into town. I, I had driven from Point Capi there into um, New Iberia. And uh, in that time period, it had rained. In between the time, I called him and said, hey, I'm coming to when I got there. It had rained and another rain was shower was coming in. And how can you get in the fields when, right. when it's like that? And fortunately, it's good for the sugar cane. It, the sugar cane's looking really good out there, really, really good. The so it's not all bad. Field. That's correct. And um, it's it's last year the the story with sugarcane, as you might remember, was the tonnage was high. All of the amount of sugarcane mm-hmm. out there was up, 
and the sugar content was not quite as good. This year, they're hoping for a reverse of that, where it's more sugar. And I think the key is whether or not we'll see that same. Remember, in September, September last year, you had two solid weeks of rain. And I think that's what caused, I mean, the green grew, but the sugar content did not. Maybe, hopefully, we won't see quite that, that amount. It's not really wet enough right now to do that sort of thing, but it's just wet enough to keep farmers from, from putting the crop in the ground. We're talking weather, talking rain, talking planting. We've talked harvesting. What's going on with Landon? Are they, are they getting close to harvesting on <laughs> soybeans? Well, they yesterday, for the first time, they actually got in the fields and made a good run They've got about 800 acres that they got planted at the end of March, beginning of April. That was the first seed that they got in the ground. And so those 800 acres have been ready for about a week and a half. Oh, really? Wow. So they have, and it has been wet. So they really need some dry weather to be able to get in there. Now, he said that they also started spraying the next round of soybeans. So uh, it's going to be a long (laughs) harvest season for them. I talked to uh, Jim Harper over in Cheneyville a little earlier. That's the central part of the state. Yep. He said that they're out there planting sugarcane and harvesting soybeans all at the same time. He actually said they're a little dry. He's He wouldn't mind having a rain right now yeah. to help finish out the cane. Well, But, I mean, y'all could just ship some there from the yeah. east, right? Yeah, and, and it, the, it's crazy because, as, I mean, as the crow flies, as they say, Natchez is not that far from Monterey, mm-hmm. but until this weekend – we were bone dry. Had not had rain it's probably since Barry came through. Wow. I feel like and it's rained here for the last two weeks. Every, every day, day mm-hmm. no, every day that I've been that I come here, it rains in the <laughs> afternoon. And I mm-hmm. guess that's just could you just stay home? Rude. Could you just yeah. stay home? No, I'm kidding. One of the things that was interesting that Paul Schecksnyder told me was um, he was also cutting beans, and he had managed to cut all the beans. You'll see it in my my piece. He is converting a lot of those bean acres to sugarcane. And I said, you know, I asked him if that was price related. And he said, yes, of course. And I said, what would it take to bring that back? And he said, Neil, if it soybeans went to $12, I wouldn't pull an acre out of sugarcane and put it back into beans. That's what some folks are doing over in Avoyles Parish where I was uh, after Hurricane Barry. Mm -hmm. Uh, They were – they – said, this is the last year I'm doing soybeans on this field because I'm putting it all in sugarcane. It would be nice to have that option. Yeah, is yeah. that a market thing? It uh, is yeah. definitely a I market mean, thing. Sugarcane sugar is at 25 cents a pound. Is it stable? And, uh, yes, it's very, it's stable, and it's uh, it's seeing some good yields. It's seeing some good um, return on investment there, and there are some new varieties that are getting ready to hit the market in the next five years. Uh, 966, I think, is one of them that uh, is offering almost like twice the sugar content. I mean, it's, wow. it's insane uh, what, they're, what, they're, what they're hoping it will do. And hopefully, but it, regardless, it's just, um, it, it's, it's, it's a crop that seems to be, as you said, relatively stable. I'm assuming that the people that you're talking about that are switching those soybean acres to sugar acres, they've oh. already, they're already in the sugar business. They already yeah. are in the sugar acres. Totally but, different ball game. Right, but Paul told me, folks in his area i mean point capi it's you know it's ice cream land you can grow anything there it's that alluvial delta soil that's just so rich i mean and you can say there was a a tractor plowing when i was there and i mean it's just gorgeous the earth is just gorgeous there uh just a few miles from false river but um uh, they don't want to grow anything but sugarcane right now in that area that may be an option further north i don't know how far north I don't know if it'd be quite an option for y'all, but I, I saw they're they're mm-hmm. starting to plant trials in, in Concordia Parish. I saw 
and well, Concordia Parish. Well, they're doing it at Dean well, Lee and Alexandria LSU Ag Center is doing mm-hmm. trial test trials. I thought that further north, so. Jim Harper's in Cheneyville, that that was is that not the northernmost? No, point? no, not anymore. Con- not no, anymore. No, uh, last year Concordia was the northernmost point. Mm-hmm. They had well, some sugar we'll cane. So maybe there's a chance. Yeah, maybe so. I don't think they're going to want to switch. It'd be quite the change, but course, the, but the thing to be look at would be to look at the sugarcane research station in St. Gabriel and see what they're coming out with because that's the they they are looking at more cold resistant varieties mm-hmm. and and all kinds of things because. Um, you know, it is just such a stable crop. It's a bright spot in the field. But of course, the more people grow sugarcane, the more of it that we have, We're and the price the market. right <laughs> goes down. We have had gluts in sugar before, you know, in, in previous years, just like we heard about from corn and soybeans. I'm just going to go out on a limb and say that this is not going to be a go for at least Landon White because sugarcane runs directly. Mm. Into hunting season. Oh no! Yeah, can't Which be harvesting. Maybe, you know what? That might be. You might. <laughs> but you know, the cure for high high prices is low prices. No, it's high prices. Oh yeah, well that's true. Yeah. Um, okay, no. explain that because when prices are high, everybody starts to uh, plant, and that brings the price down. Okay, there's some more. Uh, that was an old Mike Dana here. saying. Yeah. Care for high prices, it's high prices. Right. They also say, you know, the easiest way to make a small fortune in farming is start with a large one. So yep. I think it's, it's something <laughs> of, of that as well. Um, let's move on to Field to Feast. Carl, tell us about Jennifer's couldn't be with us today, but uh, once again, there it's looks September is rice month. We're coming up on that, and they have some rice and some beef coming up this week. I, I tell you what, they went out to uh, Gonsolin. Am I saying that right? Gonsolin? Mm-hmm. Yeah, Gonsolin Landing Cattle. I'm a redneck from North Louisiana, so forgive me. But Gonsolin Landing <laughs> Cattle, and they do a lot of grass-fed um, custom beef there. And they, mm-hmm. they have a like a storefront. It's pretty cool. And, and in the back of that storefront, they have a big grilling patio. That's his house, by the way. That's his house? Yeah, I've been there. Yeah. So wait, the storefront is in his house? No, he's got the storefront behind the storefront a little further back. Oh, well, I didn't, house. I didn't make that connection. Right there, and everything. Make all that tiny connection. little grill for those tiny little pellets of rice. <laughs> yeah, well, you said he was grilling did rice. Did not grill rice. And did not grill rice. I said that. That's but what you wrote. It's in the outdoor. <laughs> it's in the outdoor kitchen. They have a little stove top right there next to the grill. Barbie grill. But screen door. Yeah. My goodness, it looked awesome. Chef Celeste is there with Jennifer out in the field, and they they grill up some. I don't even know fillets or t bones or something. They looked incredible. Mm-hmm. I don't think they're t bones. They're ribeyes or fillets. I can't remember, but they looked incredible. But what really caught my attention was the rice. Mm-hmm. The way she cooked that rice, she had all kinds of stuff in there, and I was like, mm-hmm. wait, I thought you just put water and maybe a little well, salt. How did she cook the rice? I don't even. It's she put all kinds of like onions and you know. Uh, garlic and just all kinds of different seasonings and uh, bell pepper, green onions, all this type of stuff in the rice with it. And it it was pretty impressive. I mean, I'm going to watch it and follow step by step <laughs> with, with Chef Celeste because it looks like a, a cool way to cook rice. You know what's so great about this series is this natural connection between these chefs and these farmers that, mm-hmm. that are there. They just get along so well. Mm-hmm. And I mean, of course, they're connected by the food. That's obvious. But they just never run out of stuff to talk about. Mm. It's it's you know farmers do like to cook generally speaking, and and you're not the only one with the Traeger out there. I'm I'm sure they uh-huh. they uh, uh, they love to. I know you have one too, and they just love to cook. And you can see these farmers a lot of times. They're watching closely well, what these chefs are that. doing. There you can see in one of the shots they have a GoPro shot with you know Chef Celeste, and there's a couple of uh, I mean Chef Celeste and Jennifer are sitting there kind of prepping, and you can mm-hmm. see just off to the edge of it. 
um, Shannon. Shannon is sitting there like, you can see him taking well, pictures and, and watching close exactly was, what you're saying. I was going to say, that's a perfect team up with Chef Celeste and Shannon Gosselin because the last time I went to, to Shannon Gosselin's place, he was the one grilling up the steaks, and he wasn't really grilling. He did it you on cast, cast iron. iron. I was about to say. And he did line. it at low, low heat, really mm. low. And those were, oh, my God, they were so good. But Chef Celeste is just such a wonderful person. She's knowledgeable and really sweet on and off camera. I can't say enough good things about Chef Celeste. So to get those two together, Jennifer Finley really did a great job in finding these two kind of kindred spirits and putting mm-hmm. them together. Mm-hmm. Speaking of beef and cows, we have we have a little extra beef on the show this week. <laughs> yeah, a, a whole shank extra. You sent me in. I, I did, did, to answer your email delayed no i do not know who that farmer is that's okay we we found out who he is i found out yes. who he was i called raquel landry who's our field uh field rep down that in that area of the state and i said hey can you only find this guy and she you know a couple texts later she was like easy, hey here's, yeah. your, here's your email here's his phone number in case you're wondering there was a calf born in uh calcasieu parish with a not fifth four. leg yeah five legs five a calf legs. a leg growing off the side of its head, which it actually which looks ha- like a uh, like it's some kind of dreadlock that it's wrapped around. <laughs> right, dreadlock. Yeah, into a but that's what it looks like. That's so, the first thing I thought. It's a Rastafarian yes. cow. Yeah. <laughs> hey, man, how many leg you got? <laughs> in one of the articles, he said that it it has a, you know a knee joint just like a normal leg. Uh-huh. The that it operates just wow. like. The other four legs, and it has right. a hoof on it, so I'm not sure what, you know. Yeah. That, but I got the backstory in researching this before we did the Twilight Boost today. They believe, they're not certain, but the mother possibly had twins, mm-hmm. and that when the embryo split, it did not split completely. Mm-hmm. And so, and then I, I'm guessing that she lost, either lost the other calf or the other calf was sold at a different time because the mother was there but the cat at the sale barn when he bought the calf but the calf was not with the mother he went back and found where the mother was and bought mm-hmm. both of them together oh that's neat that's so a neat story there, yeah well Carl's i'm going to go cover them i'm right? going this weekend to to meet matt and elsie and get to know kind of I, I i told him i was like hey i know you've gotten a lot of media coverage uh i want to come do a story about you and about elsie but I want to talk about the rest of what you do, and he—it's really cool. He started telling me he's also—I uh, mean, I'm going to have probably more of this to share next episode, uh, but obviously. But he also does his own leather work, cool. Um, and he's got you know his own little you know farm that he's operating there. So it's not just—he he didn't just happen upon this five-legged calf and say, "Oh, I'm going to—I'm going to get that." He's already got some some ag going on in his in his house and his farm there. So I'm going to do more of a story about that, but. You can't ignore the five-legged calf. Hook, yeah. no. <laughs> There's your hoof. Uh, <laughs> so, yeah, I'm excited about going out there this weekend. I'll break a leg. <laughs> <laughs> I couldn't resist. On the other side of the state, we had a, a different uh, record setter there, mm-hmm. a gigantic grapefruit, the world record size grapefruit, 28 and three, a half and three, three quarters. quarters. Yes, and my waist size when I graduated high school. Mm-hmm. Yep, not very different, I'm sure, from today. But uh, it was also the the largest in circumference and heaviest. Is that yep. right? Seven pounds, six 
No, 14.63 ounces. Did I see they had a net that was holding it as it grew? Is that what that was yeah, for? Yeah, yeah. Well, to was make it, sure was it, it holding fall. it or was it just to catch it? No, it was holding it. Oh, really? To keep yeah, it on, yeah. Because on the, that's the, much weight. It would fall crazy. off of the tree. But this wasn't someone in Plaquemines Parish who already had an orchard and yeah. grow citrus. This was a guy in his backyard. Well, it's he had some unfair help, though. Unfair? Was, yeah. Uh-huh. He uh, had fairies. Fairies. Uh, yeah. And it was in a fairy. His daughter made a fairy ring and, and, and grew it. They grew it up uh, through there. So... You know, make of that what you will. Citrus witchcraft. There you go. All right. Well, I think that about does it for this Twilight After Show. Guys, thanks for, for coming in. Kristen Oaks, Avery Davidson, Carl Wiggers, and, of course, thanks to uh, Greg Fox for coming in as well. We'll see you on the next episode. If you enjoyed this podcast, please subscribe and even share it with a friend or two. Also, if you liked it, go ahead and leave us a review. Tell us what you think about the show. What would you like to hear more of? What do you not like that much? That's okay to hear, too. The Twilight After Show podcast is brought to you by the Louisiana Farm Bureau Federation. Louisiana Farm Bureau is the voice of Louisiana agriculture. Thanks for listening. We hope you enjoyed it. We'll see you again right here next week.